This episode was brought to you by the great people on Patreon. Dave, Greg, Ryan, Dan, Ian Urza, Kevin, James, Ashley, Greg and Pearl, Raul, Joel, Brian, Amy, Ian West, and Trey. Stick around for an extended shout-out at the end. Now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, the father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Sun, a, as of this episode, strong proponent of mandatory family therapy for everyone on the Australian continent. <laughs> Don't pick on all Australians. It's gotta we- happen. It's gotta happen. If this is a possibility, there needs to be a contingency for okay, it. Okay, but this movie in Wolf Creek, I don't think, you know, categorize everybody in Australia. I mean, there is also <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. But anyway, True. we are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we cover. And for this episode, we're going back to a 2009 film that is not for the weak of heart. We are discussing The Loved Ones. Can you go to the dance with me? I'm going with Holly. Guess who asked me to the dance? Tell me, who is she? I'll never tell. Queen of the dances, Lola Stone. There he is. Love is like a flame. It boils your brains and turns you into one of them. To do this right, we called in a fellow podcaster and someone well-known to the horror community, Raul the Monster Slayer. How are you, sir? I'm freaking awesome. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So you have your own podcast, uh, Headlong Into Horror, which everyone should check out. You just launched it pretty recently, right? Yeah, uh, it was about a month ago, Headlong Into Monsters. And oh, Headlong uh, Into Monsters, that's right. Yeah, it was... Uh, I only got the first episode now, though I am editing the uh, second episode. The, I got delayed because I went on vacation. That does happen. So this is your pick. Why the loved ones? Well, see, um, if if you've, li- yeah, you guys listen to, or at least Matt, I know you've listened to that first episode of my podcast. And I yep. explained that I don't really have a lot of people to talk horror movies with in my personal life. And um, the few people that I do have are just, we can talk fun movies, you know, Shaun of the Dead, Zombieland, American Werewolf in London, Return of the Living Dead, um, things that general audiences will kind of gravitate towards. But I love um, hyper-violent, mean-spirited, kill-your-soul-inside <laughs> horror movies. It, it feels weird to say that I love those movies. So having the opportunity to talk horror movies with other horror lovers um, I'm going to want to talk about movies that other people don't want to talk about. <laughs> All right. That, hey, that's fair enough. Yeah, I can see. I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I have friends who like horror movies, but they're not, you know, obsessed horror geeks like we are. Um, you know, and that's one of the reasons I love 
podcasting, excuse to talk to my son and others uh, who obsess about these things. Yeah, this is not one that I feel a lot of people who are just general horror fans have seen. When you think? Uh, yeah, I think uh, it might not be the deepest of cuts, but unless you search out these kind of movies, it's probably not just going to, you know, fall in front of you. Yeah, I agree with that. So the IMDb synopsis reads, when Brent turns down his classmate Lola's invitation to the prom, she concocts a wildly violent plan for revenge. Raul, when did you first see The Loved Ones? Uh, I probably first saw The Loved Ones maybe uh, four years ago-ish. Okay. Four or three years ago. And uh, I think I immediately made my wife Morgan watch it with me (laughs) afterwards. And she does not like horror movies. She kind of turned to me and said, what is wrong with you? (laughs) To this day, she does not like it. Yeah. I can, yeah, if you don't like horror, this is this is not going to be, yeah, something you're going to uh, revisit. I can see that. Yeah, my wife, uh, Megan, would hate this movie with an absolute passion, especially because she is a uh, mega empath. You know, she feels empathy for every character in a movie. So, all right, Jackson, I know the answer to this, but tell the listeners, when did you first see The Loved Ones? Well, I can kind of second what what you were talking about earlier with it's not, you know, it's not a super deep cut. It's not underground, but I had never heard of it. I had never seen this movie. I had virtually no exposure to it. Um, I added it to my letterboxed watch list uh, and in doing so, I saw the poster. But I I think that just kind of threw me off the trail (laughs) concerning what to expect looking back on it. I mean, technically, yes, what is depicted on the poster occurs in the movie. Exactly. But. I was expecting a tragedy girls freaky type of movie from the look of the poster, <laughs> which is not at all what I got. Oh no. And so you just saw this yesterday? Mm-hmm. Last night I, I watched it. I had my headphones on. I was watching on Prime with my dog laying next to me. I was I would needless oh. to say I was covering his oh. eyes during several scenes for several different reasons. And he's an old dog, okay? He's like eighty years old in dog years. I wasn't protecting him from the gratuity to, to spare his, his innocence, but um I was afraid he would up and have a heart attack if I didn't. I yeah, they're, they're not not kind to of dogs here. Yeah. Um I saw this when it dropped to DVD via Netflix. Uh, it seems like maybe nine or 10 years ago, something like that. And I haven't seen it um, since. And spoiler alert, you know, not because it's not a good film, but we'll go into that. It's not it's not something that, you know, I'm going to rewatch like once a year. Um, but it, but it's I will say it's a well-made film. So let's let's talk about the plot and the screenplay here You've got Brent and Lola, who are high school students, even though I think both of them were like 25 or something like that. The actors playing them. And, you know, Lola asks, you know, Brent out to we call it the prom. I think in Australia it's just called like the formal end of year formal or something like that. He says no. He's got a girlfriend. And here we go. Um, She and her father are absolutely sociopaths. what did you think of this plot and screenplay role? Um, I I really enjoy the plot because it's um, it, it's so against type of what you normally see in a lot of, I mean, 80s slasher movies. It's always a, a strong, burly, overpowering man um, stalking, hunting, killing women for the most mm-hmm. part. 
And this one, it's a, it's a, it, I mean, Brent is not a small dude. He's a, he's a larger individual. He's not mm-hmm. stocky by any means. He's kind of gangly, but he's, he's not small. And Lola is a tiny little girl, yeah. but she puts him through hell. Of course, she has her dad to help him. And he's kind of the muscle, the imposing figure, but she's not to be trifled with either. The things she does, the things she says, and the, the pain that she puts um, our main character through are relentless. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And, and there is a scene or a couple scenes, but one that stood out to me where it appears that the father kind of has trained her. You know, he says, you know, like the trick or the key is not to go too deep. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. Just just enough to get through the skull. Yeah. Yeah. So it appears like he's been training her for this. Um, oh, this is not the first time it's happened. First of all, you get to see the yes. uh, bright eyes. Um, yeah. And this this movie does so good with like like showing you not telling you because you see her you're thinking what the heck is what the heck is wrong with her why is there this hole in her head why is she catatonic and as the movie goes on it explains that and you're going through it and the more things happen to Brent the more you realize the things have happened to other people like Bright Eyes and some other people you see in, uh, later on in the basement and it is it is crazy because you see the aftermath, but you don't see why until the process is kind of laid out little by little by little by little. Right. And we and we'll talk about Sean uh, Byrne here in a minute. But because um, hardcore horror fans will know uh, definitely another one of his movies. But it, it seems to me he was heavily influenced by like a combination of misery, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, people under the stairs and some other things. Would you agree with that, Raul? Yeah, and uh, and and Ted Bundy also. In fact, Ted Bundy literally drew, drilled a hole through someone's head and poured like some sort of acid into that hole. Yeah, Dahmer make... did it as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, that yeah. might be who I'm thinking of. You're right. Yeah, yeah I Dom. think. Yeah, I I I did read that. Yeah, Byrne had um, had some of the cast read uh, uh, serial killer books, and one of them was about Dahmer. But yeah, Jackson, what did you think of the plot and the screenplay? Well, as I said, I I was going in not really knowing what to expect, but also, you know, we opened the movie with The Lonesome Loser by the Little River Band. So I was like, okay, bring that up. That is spot on, isn't it? I was thinking I was like, oh, so this is so it is like a freaky tragedy girls type movie. I was like, okay. well, first of all, I have to say opening a movie with some classic 80s soft rock is always welcome. But um, (laughs) those who know me well know I love Australian stuff. Okay, especially Australian movies. And by the way, there are a couple Australian horror movies I'd like the chance to recommend quickly. Maybe you've seen them already. Killing Ground, uh, The People in the Trees and, of course, Lake Mungo. Everybody knows Lake Mungo. But anyways, another thing I love is Australian music. Uh, and I can thank this movie for getting me to realize that the the little river band of Lonesome Loser fame is actually uh, an Australian band. So that's yeah. awesome. But um, anyways, we opened with Lonesome Loser and I was like, OK, so this is exactly what I thought it was. Nope. <laughs> I think the scene directly after that proves that that is not the case. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as the, as the plot goes. Um, as it developed, I was like, okay, I kind of see where this, where this is going. But something I, I really admired about this movie is even though you know pretty much where the movie is going, at every turn, they find a new way to make you even more disturbed and just like totally not thinking Brent's going to get out of the situation. I mean, the pit, the basement. 
that oh. revelation was just like salt in the wound. And that's another thing, the salt in the wound. I mean, it's just so much like at every turn, there's a new sadistic way that this family is, is torturing Brent. And I was like, man, this filmmaker must be really messed up. I mean, he's got a lot of ideas. He must have been like <laughs> workshopping this for a while. Uh, and indeed he was. Um, so in some ways we have seen this before. I mean, we are given reason immediately. Um, you know, they teach in screenwriting classes, you know, the save the cat moment. You've got to give a reason to early on for your, you know, main character to root for them. We're given a reason to sympathize with Brent early on because he's gone through a traumatic event, namely, you know, uh, a death in a car where he's driving and there's a twist to that right at the end or almost to the end. We have the hell hath no fury like a sociopath scorned which has a long history in horror films. The dialogue is pretty good, especially Lola. Um, and I think that she and her father are written really, really creepily, especially a couple scenes are just, whoa. Um, the Pit kind of reminiscent of People Under the Stairs, as I said, which is a movie we plan on covering this fall, Lord Willing with Gilman Joel. Um, so I said The Loved Ones was written and directed by Sean Byrne, who also did The Devil's Candy which I love. Um, he's a talented guy. So, yeah, I'm, I give a thumbs up to the screenplay. But would either of you be surprised this had a budget of $4 million more than Get Out? Raul, does that surprise you? That, um, yeah, that's actually a little higher than I was expecting because um, for the most part, it's just kind of a one- location movie as soon as they get into the uh lola's house i mean and that's 15 minutes into the movie where brent gets abducted it it things you know hit the fan pretty quickly um but uh, that must that money must have gone almost entirely to the special effects budget because the effects are amazing i i can't imagine yep. they spent anything anywhere less than half of that money on the effects Unless they spent a million dollars to license uh, Lonesome Loser by the Little River Band. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Jackson, does it surprise you this had a $4 million budget? It does. It definitely does. In my, in my notes, I referred to it as a low-budget movie. So, uh, yeah. And I mean, technically, yes, that is low-budget. But uh, for what we got, I'm not sure. I mean, I, yeah, I guess the music licensing um, and maybe some of the actors. I mean, some of the actors have been in some other stuff. Yeah. And as Raul said, I mean, the special effects are fantastic, but $4 million, where did that go? I have no idea. But I mean, I guess Get Out has less head drilling than than the loved ones. So maybe that makes sense. <laughs> oh, maybe not, actually. I just thought about it. There is brain surgery in that movie, isn't there? there I, is I was about to say, there is, there is some brain trauma in that movie. <laughs> less, less on-screen head drilling, I will say that much. Uh, well, the head drilling in this movie isn't on screen. It's just off screen. We'll get just, to that. I I have a rebuke to that, to people saying, oh, it's all implied. Okay, well, I, I, I'll talk about that later, but all right, all right. I don't want to get too carried that. away. <laughs> we'll talk about the I got the my effects. gloves on. There you go. I <laughs> I was, yeah, I was a little surprised that the budget was, was that high. If you would have asked me after watching this movie, I've watched it twice, I, I would have said maybe a million and, you know, I, so I was kind of shocked by that. But, we, you know, I, I mentioned Sean uh, Byrne um, as the director who also did The Devil's Candy, who, by the way, if you watch this movie and The Devil's Candy, it's obvious, Jackson, that he's a fellow metalhead, right? 
Uh, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. The Metallica shirts on Brent, you know, throughout that was that was awesome. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah. So, what do you think of Mr. Sean Byrne as a director, especially here, Raul? Oh, I love Sean Byrne as a director. His his movies are, I mean, they they all kind of feel the same. I mean, The Devil's Candy looks like it, it feels like it's coming from the same mind as The Loved Ones. Um, it's it's really good. I love The Devil's Candy, and I I did not realize that they're from the same director until I was doing some research for this episode today. But once I saw that, oh, it's Sean Byrne. I thought well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Jackson, what about you? Uh, I never finished The Devil's Candy. Uh, feel oh, free to, feel oh, free what? to crucify me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, I definitely see it. And and I will say, I mean, it's directed well. It looks very 2009. But I think the grungy Australian like desert aesthetics add something. Um, I don't know. It, de- it definitely looks like it's time, but I think that's a good thing. Uh, the dirty brown grungy look of it really helps sell the, the disturbing aspects because it starts out kind of like you're like, OK, why is it so grungy? We're just in a school. But then when we get to Lola's house, it makes total sense why the movie looks like that. I mean, that is ooh, the stained yellow walls. But um, yeah, I think it, I think it's directed well. It's it's it is structured interestingly i mean raul touched on this but it's like we barely get to know these characters i mean we get one scene between brent and his friend jamie and then brent is abducted and then like jamie never like interacts with brent again it's a very oddly structured movie it's unconventional i'll say that much it's unconventional um and i kind of i thought that was kind of refreshing i mean he's in the house really early on there's no filler there's no we don't get any more teen stuff than we need to we was get that, all the well, stuff we need to Did you think, Jackson, and then I'll throw this to Raul, mm-hmm. that, you know, the whole subplot with his buddy yeah. who's taking, like, you know, the the kind of dark girl out on the to the dance and she's yeah. just constantly smoking pot and to the point where she just kind of passes out. Yeah. Wasn't that filler? I... I feel two ways about it. I think mostly no, that wasn't filler. It did serve a purpose. I see what they're trying to talk to do, and I guess I can just do this now. I, th- I said in my notes that the script was a little messy. I think you know the friend goes on the date with the sister of uh, a guy who was abducted by um, Lola and her dad. I think that's that's revealed. Um, yep. Timmy Valentine, I think his name is. And that connects back with the beginning, but we'll t- touch on that later, I guess. Anyways, I see what they're trying to do. Um, like, Jamie takes her out. We don't really know what her deal is. It's revealed later she's crying. It was her brother that was abducted. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that kind of makes sense. She's kind of disconnected from her family because she feels like maybe her dad can't find her brother and that it's his fault. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I'm yeah, thinking that. Yeah, I get that. I'm just not sure if it needed it, other than maybe because you and I were messaging about this last night. This is only yeah. 86 minutes long. Yeah. It is, I mean, it is short, and they needed to make it feature-length, I guess, but it, I think it could have made it feature-length if okay. they cut some... I, I honestly think it's just showing um, the effect, maybe, that, that Lola and her family had on this this town outside okay. of it. And I do think there, there are a few, there are a few like, funny parts. I think there is that, that jump scare with the, the principal knocking on the car. I don't think that really worked, how they're trying to set it up, like like Lola's dad was knocking on the car. Like, why would they be at Lola's house? I don't really know why that was edited that way. But um, 
I do think it served a purpose. And it was kind of like I was kind of relieved, honestly, that we're getting any respite from from Lola's house. I mean, any any scene we get outside of uh, there. OK, of now air. that's interesting. And you're you're the aspiring director. That is interesting. I hadn't thought about that. A little bit of levity. I mean, like even when we went, we go to Brent's mom and Holly crying, I was like, at least we're not seeing, you know, feet being being nailed to the floor with knives. You know, Asc- that's, yeah, essentially a kind of crucifixion. Right. Yeah, it, it is. It, it was a little relieving and i think that was the point because if it weren't for that i think this movie would just be decried as pure torture porn it's like it would be 70 minutes and it would be torture porn and nobody would watch it i think they had to do this to make it a little bit feel a little bit more legit and i i kind of appreciate that but i don't know that was just my take seeing it one time all right fair enough raul what do you what do you think of that uh well i think i i disagree with the fact with, with the opinion that um it was just kind of in there for filler, much like I said with uh, with Starry Eyes, mm-hmm. um, how you see this process and it's what you see the end of the process and then you see what got Starry Eyes to there as Brent's going through his torture. Mm-hmm. Um, you see the after effects of past victims, not maybe not on the victims themselves, although you do get to that once the pit opens up, yeah. but you you get to see how their disappearance, how how them no longer being in society has affected at least one of the victim's families. And it's it's incredibly negative. And I think, mm-hmm. like Jackson was talking about, it does add some respite from the torture, from the violence, from the gore. It, it, it gets us out of that. It does add a little bit with Jamie. It adds a little bit of levity in a, in a nice way because he's still interacting with this goth girl, who, by the way, is the type of girl I would have absolutely dated in high school. <laughs> you and I me look- both. Yeah, I looked at her and I'm like, oh, she can get it. <laughs> I, I, I have to admit, I hadn't thought about the rest, but so I, okay, I will, I will admit I was wrong, and uh, you two are right. I'll go with that. I, it just struck me initially as a little strange, but now I, I see what you guys are talking about, and and to Sean Burns' credit. The the respite is not like Last House on the Left, goofy Keystone Cops. Yes. Oh no, yeah, those <laughs> exactly. it, it was way better than that. If 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 we hadn't had that outside interaction um, with with Jamie and and the girl he's on a date with, and the was it the sheriff or deputy, the police he's officer. A, he's a police officer. Yeah. yeah. This police officer and his family, and she's crying after the date. He goes there, like, why can't you find him? She asks her dad. And then all he doesn't say anything. All he said, all he does is goes back into his room, lays down. His wife asks, is she okay? And he says, yes. Like he sees his daughter suffering and throwing her life away. But he is so far removed from giving a crap about anything because of how torn apart his own personal life is. He can't be bothered to even console her. Mm, That's a good point. And if we didn't have that, it would just feel like an Eli Roth film. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. And, and you know, something that uh, me and you, Dad, went back on when we were we were uh, we were talking about the fun house is uh, we well, we both really didn't like how it cuts to the brother, you know, the brother outside the fun house creeping around the carnival right. after dark. This serves sort of the same purpose as that. It's just done better and it's more entertaining. We need something outside of the fun house. We need something outside of Lola's house. But 
you know, to give us a little respite. But this was done better, I think. There were some good interactions dialogue-wise. Not as interesting, you know, not as as emotionally effective as what's going on inside Lola's house. Because you would think that that's just constant, you know, torture, but there are some really emotional, seems like implied stuff there. You talked about with Bright Eyes, like what's implied to have gone down between them mm-hmm. in the past and that family. And then the, with the scrapbook, there is some emotional stuff there, but we do need a little bit of drama outside of that of Lola's house. And I think I think it was done better than the fun house, but it serves kind of the same purpose. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. And you're like I said, you're the aspiring director. And I, I, I did like the way this movie and just, you know, going back to Sean, you know, Byrne. I love the way it was shot. Like there's a great shot near the end where Lola's walking down the road. Oh. That's a great shot. And then you see Holly's like VW coming down and she kind of disappears out of camera range and you're wondering what's going to happen. I mean, stuff like that and the opening of the pit and stuff like that. That's very well shot. And in that scene, she's walking down the road singing that song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about her performance here in a minute, but it's very well shot. It's tight. It's pretty tightly paced. Like I said, that when I was rewatching it, this morning, I was like, well, do we need that subplot? But you guys have converted me. And maybe that was because I'd seen it before. So I kind of knew what to expect. And so I was a little numb to those scenes because I remember them very well, especially the the knives through the feet scene. You know, I remember that. Mm. That was like burned into my brain. And so I said, we'll talk about the performances just here in a second. But, yeah, I I really admire you know, Sean Byrne, and I, I hope he does a lot more. I mean, I don't think I've seen anything from him since The Devil's Candy, which was originally, I think, released in like 2015, and I know it made the festival circuit for several years. Um, but, yeah, I think he's a really talented director, and I want to see more from him. What about you, Jackson? Yeah, I mean, there there is definitely, and I was going to say, like, you know, maybe given a bigger budget, he could have done something even more extravagant. But honestly, <laughs> this has a pretty good, this has a Blumhouse budget. This is a Blumhouse know? budget, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe he just needs another mid-budget movie. I mean, Blumhouse, pick him up, Jason. I mean, uh, Jason Blum is obviously willing to uh, give Quentin Tarantino a, 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 I saw Blumhouse tweet out the other day that Tarantino's last movie should be a, a horror movie. So they're they're willing to give anybody a budget. They're like, whatever, just do something with it. But um yeah, I think that maybe he, he should do another mid-budget one. I, I don't know. There is there is more that could be creatively expressed from him. But from the two movies I've seen, the one and a half movies I've seen from him, I'm oh, sure whatever that will be. you have to finish The Devil's Candy for goodness I know sakes. it. I know and it. And by the way, speaking of Blumhouse, Ryan Turk is a big fan of The Devil's Candy. So... Yeah, but um, yeah, whatever comes out of them, I'm sure it'll be depressing and grungy and disturbing and it'll it'll make people throw up at the festivals. I'll be there opening day. <laughs> there you go. Um, so let's talk about the cast. And let's start with Xavier uh, Samuel as Brent. Uh, I, I remember him from the horror movie Fury. Um, apparently he was in the Twilight movies, which I haven't seen. And if you're a Twilight fan, I'm not bagging on it. It's just not not my cup of tea, folks. Um, what do we think of Mr. Samuel as Brent? Um, not a lot of lines to memorize, right, Raul? No, no. In fact, I don't, uh, after that, uh, 15 minute mark, I don't think he does have any lines yeah. other than to scream. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. What, what did you think of his performance? I thought it was great, man. He, the, the way, because, uh, since he doesn't have very many lines, he has to emote 
um, semi-silently, but he, he has to portray emotion. In the beginning, he portrays a lot of emotion, um, you know, with words along with uh, uh, with facial expressions and body language. Uh, but after his voice is lost, I, to this day, I still don't know what exactly they injected into his neck. But um, after I think I he, read it was Clorox. I but I'm not surprised. sure how that works. I don't either. Maybe they just maybe they went right into that larynx or voice yeah. box or something. I don't know. But that's that's terrifying to think. But uh, um, every now and then he he has this look of of angst. He has this look of desperation. He he can portray. Um, oh, what am I trying to say here? Um, defiance so well with just the gaze of his eyes when oh, she's yeah when they're screaming at him like cry cry yeah. yeah and that's that's the scene where he's getting the knife nailed through his foot and he's just mm-hmm. holding still what uh, one scene he's blowing into one of those little noise maker whistle yes. things oh i love it because he looks so defeated oh. um and then uh the the angsty rock climbing who i i I hear people make fun of so much at the beginning when when he first gets kidnapped. Um, but I love that story because in that rock climbing scene, or I love that scene because in, in in that little rock climbing short, those those couple of minutes, it's the entire experience of the movie. He's confronting his death, and mm-hmm. he has two options to either let go and fall to his death to give up. Right. But when his foot slips and he's confronted with the reality of his death and not just the hypotheticalness of his death he grabs a hold and fights for his very life and makes it up that mountain i think that angsty rock climbing that people make fun of so much is just the entire movie portrayed in in just a few minutes i agree with that and you know as somebody who used to be a fitness trainer and jackson you've been working out a lot so you know this too i mean that is this is where my mind goes as a former fitness trainer that takes incredible focus and strength because you're talking about grip strength. You're talking about back. If you ever done pull-ups, you know how difficult that is to do. Mm-hmm. And cause he has that look right when he's doing the rock climb, where he looks down, it's almost like he's contemplating, well, maybe I should just let go. And then he decides no. And then he, you know, he starts to pull himself up. And so, yeah, now I, I don't I don't understand people who make fun of that scene. I think that's an effective scene. Um, but Jackson, what do you think of his performance? I love it. And and yet Raul hit the thread on the head, the defiance in his face. I mean, he does. Obviously, he, he uh, just he's in pain and he screams, uh, but he doesn't want to give them the satisfaction when 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 Lola's uh, trying to get him to cry. He's got that defiance in him. But but we know all the while behind those eyes, he's working. You know, gears are turning. He's trying to figure out how to get out of the situation. We see him do it once in the movie, and he's planning on how to do it again. Eventually, he does succeed. But um, And yeah, that rock climbing scene, I love that as well because I did – I watched a review on YouTube, and they were like, it's a goofy rock climbing scene. I'm like, no, that's – that is – like Raul said, it's not only foreshadowing. It is basically the whole hero's journey he's going to go on. Right. And it's like it's like the first little speed bump. We see him do that. And we know he can do that, so we know he's going to make it. We know that he has the capability to make it through that experience with Lola because he he was strong enough to do it before. Um, and I also find it funny that when he succeeds in climbing the the cliff, 
he gets to the top only to be abducted by uh, the dad. So he's Daddy, right into yeah. the he's right into the actual plot. I mean, we go from the little plot summary to the actual plot immediately. So I think that's awesome. Yeah, as uh, you and Raul said, this gets there quick. Yeah, this does not. You know, we get those scenes where we empathize with Brent, and it takes about fifteen minutes. But then, boom, we're on right. So for the next seventy minutes, we're you know, it's wow. And he does have those. And by the way, as a former director myself, and I've taken some taken some acting classes. I've done some theater. Um, the hardest thing for an actor to do is not emote verbally. It's to emote physically. That's much tougher. You can learn a tone. A vocal coach can teach you you know, the average tone for empathy or for sorrow or for joy or whatever. It's very difficult to get a convincing look on your face. And he does that very, very well. So, yeah, I was impressed by his uh, performance. Um, the look on of determination on his face when you have the, the scene, which is also another scene I thought was very well shot, when you've got Lola using her knife to crawl down the road Ugh. after she's been hit. And he just looks at her and he just has this look on his face. Like I'm throwing this puppy in reverse and bye bye Lola. You know, it's he's, there are no qualms. It's just bye. See ya. That's a great scene. And I thought he emoted very, very well. So, and speaking of Lola, let's talk about her um lola or princess if you will was played by robin mclevy who horror fans may also know from abraham lincoln vampire hunter which i'm not a huge fan of but um she's done a, a crap ton of tv i loved her in this movie she is so she goes from awkward to creepy to terrifying so easily and I, you know, once upon a time, several years ago, I did a, a top 100 list of my favorite horror performances. I'm going to have to. And one of the reasons I don't blog on that site much anymore is I'm doing a Ph.D. And second, because I can't remember the password. But anyway, I will get back in there if I can. <laughs> and I, I will put her in the top 100 list. I think she's fantastic. Raul? Oh, she sells maniacal sociopathy so well yes um I, one scene that really stands out to me well two scenes um when the first thing that brent tries to do to kind of escape or help him get a little bit of leverage in the situation was he tells her he has to go to the toilet um and what she does in response to that was you know you know the 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 just the fear of having something nailed down to a chair oh. was this and she's she's saying it so casually um i guess okay so, so three and then looking at the looking at the, the 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 notebook that scrapbook and she's showing pictures and um recounting all her previous victims and talking about them like she was on vacation in the bahamas yes um, oh my gosh and some of those pictures she's like nine years old they've been at this for a while yeah again that goes back to it appears she was trained right oh groomed huh? heck yeah Oh, man. Um, but after after Brad escapes and he's uh, taking refuge in the tree, she starts chucking rocks at him, trying to yes. get him to come down. And she starts, she goes from the first rock she throws. It's it's very, 
you know, she's trying, she's, she has a goal in mind uh, to knock him down. But after a while, after maybe the third rock, she's just having a ball chucking things at him. Yes. There's seems, glee on her face. Oh, I mean, it's yeah. just like, yeah. Oh, cool. man. Yeah. So Jackson, what did you think of uh, Robin McLevy's performance? I thought she was excellent. And, and yeah, from the beginning, I mean, it's, it's really cool because I felt bad for Lola in the beginning. I, I didn't, I, I kind of, from the poster knew what was going to happen in the movie. I didn't know it would be Lola, yeah. but when she asked him, I was like, Oh, that's so she's making an effort. You know, I felt legitimately bad for her. Of course I would later find out my sympathies were horribly misplaced, but <laughs> yeah, I, bet, I bet that didn't last long. Yeah. yeah. That, that's some, that's some, especially you get that shot of her looking in the car window, but that that's your first sign that maybe she's not all there, but, um, Really great writing and acting, you know, to make me sympathize with a character without knowing her or even seeing her for more than 10 seconds. Instant sympathy. Um, so she sold that, but she also sells crazy. Absolutely. Uh, as you were saying with the, the throwing rocks at the tree and especially what she does after daddy dies, after daddy's dead, oh. what she does to bright eyes. Because you get the impression she never much liked her mom anyway. So her, mm. maybe her stepmom or mom, I, I would assume. But she she never much liked her so uh, she does really sell that maniacal well but it goes and let's talk about that i mean yeah there is more than a little hint of an incestuous relationship well oh, we, yeah. we almost see it yeah and i mean it's almost like okay daddy's out of the way now i can finally get my competition gone yeah which is oh and when she just, walks into that room, I was kind of thinking, turn around, bright <laughs> eyes. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Um, man, oh, man. Um, Sean Byrne has stated that she had her prepare by reading books on serial killers and watching movies like Misery. Makes which sense. Which completely, yeah, makes yeah. absolute sense. <laughs> oh, man. So speaking of daddy... Um, John Brumpton as daddy. This character is one sick pup. In fact, um, for those of you, I can't remember his name off the top. I can see his face, but, uh, the main antagonist from the Wolf Creek movies turned this down. Now, uh, uh, J J Jarrett, J Garrett. Yes. He turned that role down. Um, now that's something. If the guy from Wolf Creek is like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, I wouldn't like if, if the head canon in my mind is that uh, Mick Taylor is somehow Lola's like weird uncle or something, I believe like this whole family's messed up. I believe that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, and John Brumpton has over a hundred credits, but I'm only familiar with his role in romper stomper. He's done a lot of Australian TV and so forth, but what do we think of John Brumpton as daddy Raul? Oh man, he has, he was so good in this movie. There's so many like little things, little um, actions here and there that made his character so real instead of just someone like uh, doing his best to portray this character. It, it, it felt like a real person when he crashes. Uh, the first time Brent gets away and he crashes the car into the tree. After he gets out of the car, the first thing he does is not look up the tree at where Brent Brent is. Um, the first thing he does is look at the potential damage he just did to the bumper of his car hitting the tree. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Um, yeah, that was a nice touch. Yeah, just, and there's so many little things, little little micro motions uh, that John Brumpton does 
uh, as Daddy that makes his performance so, so real. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He sold it for me. Jackson, what did you think? Yeah, I thought he was excellent. And it's a, it's a very, uh, I don't want to say nuanced, but, but you know, I'll, I'll sell. I'll, I'll go with it. I'll say nuanced. He is a psychopath. You know, he's a psychopath killer. But uh, he does feel very real. He feels very human, like somebody you could encounter. Um, because, yeah, and you're talking about that scene where he chases Brent with a car. He gets into the car, he turns it on, he puts it in reverse, and then he catches Brent in his headlights, and he does, like, a double take on it. And that was a very human yeah. thing. It's like, he's not, like, predator animal mode. You know, he's not, like, just, like, eyes trained on his on his prey. He's just a guy. He's driving a car, you know? He's like, he does a double take. And when he crashes, he he feels genuine remorse. He's like, oh, no, my car. You know, so uh, he, and, and it's weird because he doesn't go full psychopath. I was expecting, like, I was expecting Texas Chainsaw Sawyer type where all the family members are all screaming at all the time, encouraging each other, whatever. There are some points where he kind of, I don't know if it's jealousy or or what, kind of looks at what Lola's doing a little bit like when she sticks his fin- her finger in in Brent's mouth, he looks at it like, eh, I don't know how to feel about it. That's my daughter. And also, I may be attracted to her. And also, yeah. she's my daughter. So I'm, I feel many ways about this. It's just, and, and like you were talking about earlier, physical acting. I mean, it's just, it, everything is conveyed in his eyes. We just get like a shot several times where it just is slowly zooming in on him and his eyes. You can see in his eyes exactly what he's thinking. Um, and I, I just think that's fantastic. And yeah, really nuanced. But but just thinking about all those years past, all those those past Valentine's days and prom days and, and whatever in the past, just I, I can't even imagine it. And, you know, Lola says that Brent is her first time she's drilled someone. So, you know, that means that every year prior that it was daddy's job. Oh, mm-hmm. good point. Yeah, good point. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah. Yeah, he's he's incredibly creepy in this. I'm kind of surprised that um, American filmmakers haven't picked up on him because he appears to me the kind of actor that can do he can do creepy, obviously, but he seems to have the same kind of physicality where he could do comedy. And I remember him as Magoo in in Romper Stomper, though it's been many, many years since I've seen it. He was very good in it. So very talented actor. Um, anybody else in the cast that we want to talk about? Do we want to talk about Australian Jack Black? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Jamie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Was no one else thinking Jack Black when he was on scene? I was thinking of, um, oh, man, who's the who's that chubby kid from Superbad? Oh, Jonah. Uh, is it Jonah? Jonah Hill. Hill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, Jonah yeah Hill. that's a good parallel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But... Yeah, I I thought he was great, even though, like I said, when I was rewatching this, I was like, is this really necessary? You guys have you guys have converted me on that. But I did like his performance. I thought he was very good. I think my I, favorite part was when he tries to slide across the hood of his car and then just dips it. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I love that scene and I love the part where he's he's talking about his, his him not having a hygiene issue. I love that. that yeah, too. he's got he's got, got a couple of great lines. And again, that there's that levity there. I think if we didn't have that, this would be a much harder viewing experience. Yeah, rub it in. I got it wrong. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> Um, other technical aspects. I've already said that I think this is well edited, well shot. Um, I, I liked the score. Um, what do we want to say about this, if anything, Raul? 
Um, I I don't know. I I just love 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 this movie. There's it's so real. It seems yeah the the gore is effective. The the pain is is uh, you can feel it through the characters and not not just physical pain but emotional pain. Um, a lot of it. I don't mean to keep rubbing quote salt in that wound, but that uh, <laughs> the, the time we spend outside of the house is just as effective as the time we spend inside the house. Um, and I think that there was not a bad performance. In the bunch, everything from the goth, the 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 goth girl to, mm-hmm. um, to the to Brett's mom to the little part we saw of uh, of Brett's dad, to uh, uh, what was it? Holly, who we didn't uh, really talk about, but yeah, I, she was a great actress. That was a great character too, and I, every interaction we had with her was very believable. Um, there was not like everything looked beautiful. The acting was convincing. Visually, the gore was effective. None of it looked artificial. It just seemed like a story to me. And I was, this was the kind of movie that had me connected in every single aspect of what this filmmaker was trying to do. And at no point whatsoever was I taken out of the movie. All right, good point. Jackson, what about you? Uh, Yeah, I think as far as the technical aspects go, I think it's very. I think it's very well done. I think the editing is um, is competent. I think it's edited competently. I said I I picked apart that thing earlier. I, I thought I really hate that kind of thing. Like I hated it in The Prowler too, where it's like two completely disconnected scenes and they try to make a jump scare out of it. It's like when that the the superintendent or whoever that is, the dean at the school was walking over to the car. It tries to frame it as if the dad is walking or as as if Lola's dad is walking over to the car, even though that doesn't really make any sense. And they did the same thing in the prowler when she's in the Jeep and and there's just that like screen door and you're like, Oh, the prowler's gonna get her, but then the prowler is like in a completely different place. I really don't like it when they do that. But um, you know, it's it they had to inject a little bit of tension into that that side plot. Um but honestly, I think that could have worked with just the dean walking up and knocking on the thing. Anyways, um, I scored well. I think the score was fantastic. The yeah. the music we get those like really overdriven electric guitars, just like just raw pure noise. You know, it's just like like makes your your the hair on your arm stand up almost. It's it's just like electrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, but again, I think the writing and acting were the r- real standout features. And yeah, and Holly, I thought was great as well. She is, mm-hmm. uh, and that scene where you see her struggling with Lola and fighting her, they kind of like spill out of the car, yeah. and then you hear the knife scrape on the asphalt, and you're like, ugh. It's just you can feel that they're both really trying to kill each other in that moment. The, yeah, Lola's whoever over uh, whoever oversaw the sound and sound editing here did a very good job. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and the, uh, again, I just thought about it. Actually, I'm going to retrace my steps a little bit. The editing, there was one part I really loved when she when she's talking to Brent. And she's like, this is my first time drilling. We cut to the dad and he pulls out his toolbox and spreads it wide. And we get like a Wes Anderson style shot where the toolbox is just like taking up the entire screen. It's all laid out <laughs> ornately. Yeah. I, I love that. But um, anyways, yeah, I think the technical aspects are, are done well. Um, again, like I said, it does look very 2009 especially in the beginning. Um, but, I mean, what are you going to do about it? I mean, 2021 movies look very 2021. So um, I, 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 I don't mind that. I don't mind something being dated to its sure. time. I, I don't mind that at all. But speaking of the technical aspects, we brought this up several times. Let's talk about the special effects. Mm-hmm. Let's. Oh, so Raul, you brought this up before. There are many scenes in here where 
the effects are are pretty convincing. Oh yeah, that not so the the thing that comes the most to mind is the hammering the knife through mm. the feet. Good Moses, that was yes. so. I was kind of. I don't look away much from movies, but I was like, oh, I was trying to. I oh, was it's cringeworthy. The, yeah. the screen. <laughs> yeah, it's cringeworthy. And so, yeah, that that scene I remembered very distinctly when you picked this. That was the first thing that came to mind. It's like, oh, I remember that scene. Um, Jackson, what did you think? Uh, yeah, I second what Raul was saying. I mean, I had to skip five seconds. I mean, I've seen Human Centipede too. Okay, I but I had to skip five <laughs> seconds here and there. I had to look away. I'm going to be honest. The drilling was just, it's just too much for me. I think that's where I drew the line. It's not fun drill violence, okay? It's not like Slumber Party Massacre 2. It's just, it's just a lot. And, and okay. Two I went is fun? Two what, is fun? Yeah. I mean, would it have been better if Lola just broken out into like a little rockabilly exactly. type of <laughs> Exactly. If she was some kind of weird Michael Jackson Elvis thing, that would have been, <laughs> that would have been great. But, but I, I read some reviews and people said like, oh, it's just like Texas Chainsaw. You know, the most disturbing gore is the implied gore that you don't see. Like, like when Brent is getting his forehead drilled, you know, he's, he's facing away from the camera. And to that, I say, number one. I would argue that hearing a forehead being drilled in surround sound is worse than just seeing an effect. And number two, bull crap. He may be turned around for the second go at his forehead, but even during that, we can see smoke rising from his forehead as the drill grinds his skull oh, to dust. Okay? Yeah, I love the, that. The loved ones implies violence in the same way GNR's Mr. Brownstone implies heroin. All right? This is not implied <laughs> violence. This is explicit. <laughs> Oh, good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I I I love the effects. I remember thinking especially that scene, you know, with the feet. I was just like, "Oh, man." You know, that that was so well done. And and you know, I have heard so many stories about, you know, retractable knives and so forth not retracting. And I was just sitting there thinking, you know, if that was Xavier or if that was an extra, oh, I would I would be sweating in that scene. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's because if you've ever been on a film set, you always meet that one guy who does effects who doesn't have thumbs. And you're like, I'm trusting my life to this guy. You know, exactly. And then you talk to him and they're like car accident. You're like, oh, well, <laughs> oh, yeah, that. Yeah, that's what they claim. But yeah. You know, well, they don't want to tell you directly. No. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I lost this doing the thing you're about to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Should be, should like, be good now. Should be good it, now. My favorite Friday 13th movie is Friday 13th Part 2. And so, for example, you know, they didn't have Tom Savini on that second one. The ice pick scene, I won't say who for people who haven't listened to that episode and, you know, for some reason haven't seen that movie, which is brilliant. Um, the ice pick did not retract. On that That's the beginning, day. right? Yeah. yeah, did not retract. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, that's brutal. You know? Okay, so I, I I will give it to Jackson. Uh, even though the the drilling is not right there on screen, you're not seeing a bit grow or grind into his skull. I think the visual. If there had been an attempt at a visual, I think it would have lessened it. Knowing that it's just off screen millimeters from being shown. Um, when he is facing the camera or that smoke rising out of his skull and you you know where that's coming from. I think that is more grotesque than if you had seen it. Um, but mu- much in the same way that uh, Bruce in Jaws is scarier 
when you don't see him than than when you do. I think. Yeah, I agree with that, Jackson. Yeah, and, and I do think it it is more effective. I mean, but but the thing that was that was making me angry is people who are like, oh, it's really not that bad. It's it, it's not it's not like it's not the hostile levels because you don't see it. And I'm like, I would argue it's more disturbing because we don't see it. I can see that that Achilles heel getting cut and and hostile a million times, but. Just hearing the sounds with my headphones on of what sounds like a drill on teeth at a dentist's office, but just thinking about the fact that it's drilling into his forehead, and then the smoke rising, and little bits of skull flying everywhere, it's just, that's worse. I would say that's worse. This is not a, a Texas Chainsaw meat hook scenario, okay? This is much worse. What about the broken wrist at the end? Oh. Oh, yes! And the broken wrist at the end? And then and then you were talking about the shot earlier, you know, the shot with Lola dragging herself down the street. And that that plays on that more the sound design of her dragging that knife and pulling herself forward that that yeah, sound scraping just ugh, yeah. it's worth for me that's worse than like silverware on a plate. Yeah, agreed. And so, you know, Jackson, you brought this up earlier. I, I want to ask you, and Raul, Raul, you first. Would you consider this torture porn given when it was made? Oh no, absolutely not. I hate the term okay. torture porn. Okay. Um. Uh, and most most things that people categorize as torture porn, I I put into three separate categories: um, gore, where the scare comes primarily and only through um, violence seen on screen. Um, however, that violence in that category is usually a little too hokey, a little played out. The blood's not very realistic. It's uh, it feels a little satirical. Uh, okay. The second category would be hyper hyper violence where it's a lot like the first category except it's played straight it's played for realism and it's so affecting you just feel dirty afterwards mm. um and then mean-spirited horror movies which don't necessarily need to have a lot of violence in them um although that's kind of what people remember and those usually live live the light of your soul dimmed for a few days afterwards so where would you put like say a serbian film if you've seen that in there Oh, I have seen that, and I would mm -hmm. definitely call that mean spirited because yeah. that um, one 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 thing that a movie has to do to fall into a mean spirited category is that our main protagonists um, usually die, mm -hmm. and the evil, the monster that is causing violence, causing destruction, is not defeated, not killed, or or just left to keep on doing what they're doing and that is the case in a serbian film yeah jackson what about you do you consider this torture porn i i don't consider this torture porn although i do feel a different way about the term torture porn i don't i don't i don't mind it honestly when people call stuff what i have a problem with is when they call something like hostile or saw torture porn if you've seen well, hostile, i would there's, agree there's, with you i would agree with you about the the original saw is not right. torture porn Right. The original Saul is like it's like a crime thriller. It's like a tense crime thriller, basically, told oh, yeah. in a non nonlinear way. But then there's also Hostel. If you've ever seen Hostel, first of all, there's 45 minutes before we get the real gore. And then our like main guy escapes. It's like really weirdly told. There is a lot of gore in it, but I wouldn't call it torture porn. Maybe I haven't seen Hostel, too. Maybe it gets more into that in that movie. But I would say where torture porn comes in is something like. And there's again, you can further categorize this. There is like like ex like modern exploitation, which is real exploitative. Like you got the August Underground or whatever that stuff. Like Bill Bill Van Vagel loves. 
Um, <laughs> and then there's the, I consider this actually con- torture porn, and I don't think that's an insult, something like Saw 3D or whatever, where it's pretty much just kill scene after kill scene after kill scene, bunch of different kill scenes in 3D, that's torture porn. I consider that torture porn. That's not necessarily a derogatory term because there's stuff like food porn. That's not necessarily a bad thing. You watch a movie with, like, Chef with Jean Favreau or whatever. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I don't consider that derogatory. You can get enjoyment out of Saw 3D. But if you're sitting in a theater watching Kill After Kill After Kill in 3D, I consider that torture porn. I do not consider uh, this movie uh, torture porn. The Loved Ones is not torture porn because it's so much more, it's dramatic. We care about the characters. We're not sitting there. Um, we're not sitting there rooting for somebody to die, right? Which is what I think torture porn is. We're, we're relishing in the torture. Whereas with this movie, we're, you know, we're sympathizing and we're, we ourselves are feeling pain with Brent. I don't, I don't think that can be categorized as torture porn. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just wanted to raise it. And yeah, bro, well, I'm going to have to give those three categories some thought. Those are good points. So oh, I, um, I do plan to put out an episode explaining those three categories in depth with examples. Oh, in cool. Each. So there you go, folks. Headlong into monsters. You need to check that out. So um, what else do we want to talk about here? What are, do you have any other notes here you want to talk about, Raul? Can we talk about the sound? Yeah. Because I think after after Brent loses his voice and after and he's screaming in, in that like ah, type yeah. of scream that he can do now. He can't really speak. But even he, who is a part of this screaming, is shocked and disgusted when the cellar doors open up and it's just a chorus of Ooh, wailing yeah. banshees. Good lord. That was the most disturbing screaming audio type muffledness. Oh. Since um, since Motel Hell, I think. Ooh, good point. Because I had I focus so much on the shot, you know, which I think is a great shot, you know, um, that I hadn't thought about the sound. But that's a good point, Jackson. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I mean, that that did really disturb me. And I, I love the shot of them pulling the mat up and them opening the door, and it's like, oh, what's in there? But that sound was definitely this chorus of of these now uh, lobotomized, basically these lobotomized little boys who have been held captive for all these years now. So disturbing uh, to think about them just being down there for all those years. Um, and uh, and yeah, and then I think that the part where it's most effective is when Brent is being is, you know, he's just pushed a dad down there. He's on the edge. And then Lola comes out and lifts his lifts his legs, and then he's going in. He's, he's somersaulting in, basically. Um, and just as he lands in there, the sound down there, you know, he's flicking on and off the light switch, and they're just eating away at Daddy. You know, they're they're tearing him apart with their teeth. Just you can feel how dirty that basement is, all the feces and bones in there. And wearing headphones while watching this movie, it's like it's like a transcendent experience and not in a good way. You know, this is not like, like a Pink Floyd album where you're listening to it and you're like, wow, I feel like I'm flying to heaven with this movie. You feel like you're being dragged to hell when you have headphones on. (laughs) And for some people that might be like a a selling point, but I don't know. It was a lot. Yeah. Well, Jackson, what other notes do you have, buddy? I have a couple things. Okay. So while I was writing, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when, Brent first wakes up, and we see him kind of wiggling around in his chair. I notice that on the shot of the chair legs, okay, I, this is what I wrote. 25 minutes in, one chair leg is not screwed into the floor. 
Chekhov's leg. Let it be known I'm calling it. Okay, that was 25 minutes in. <laughs> Later on, update, Chekhov's leg thing. I am both disappointed and relieved that they subverted that. He never tips the chair over, as far as I can tell. That, that chair stays in place. They, they, Those three legs that were, were, were nailed in were nailed well. I mean, and we've seen how well Daddy can nail. I mean, he, he, can, he can get your feet yeah. in the ground. Uh, well, don't take that out of context. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not 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 in a movie where Daddy is like staring at his daughter's butt while she's trying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that on. that changing scene was so gross. Oh, yeah. it's gross. the worst kind of male gaze. Yes, and that's what it, that's why I feel like his his character is so complicated because he tries to leave the room at first, and she tells him to stay in the room and watch her change, which is oh. so weird. And there's like that part where they're dancing, and she's like, "You're my prince." You know, I've been looking for a boy all these years, but it's always been you. And when she leans in to kiss him, he almost looks like he doesn't know if he wants to or not, which is why I feel like they're kind of in a feedback loop of insanity. You know, it's not it's not just the dad raising her to be a, a killer. She's also her own special brand of crazy that's almost like converting him to a new depravity. She's kind of the one that's advancing this, this incestuous relationship, I feel like. Uh-huh. But um, it, it is odd. Anyways, yeah, this is... Yeah, this I Chekhov's leg thing. I, I I had to write that down. That was uh that was both disappointing and relieving to me that they wouldn't go for that easy thing where it's like, oh look, one of the legs isn't screwed and he's gonna tip it over. But uh, yeah, anyways, don't take that out of context. Uh, and another thing I wrote is why exactly did Holly and Brent drive back to his house instead of the hospital? They go directly from there to his house so his mom can hug him. I would think that if you have two giant gaping wounds oh. on feet, on your chest, yeah. your face, and your head, I would think you go right to the hospital. I'm not really quite sure why. They, maybe they thought they needed the mom to explain at the hospital. I don't know. But that was a really weird ending. I, I, I think that is a better ending if they'd gone to the hospital and maybe even had like a stranger's prey at night thing where he's yeah. like staring at the door. Exactly. Like and I was going to say, I was going to say maybe it was too expensive to shoot in a hospital. But again, $4 million, they can find a hospital <laughs> or at least build a hospital set. Uh, but I, I also wrote Brent's not going to have a drop of blood left in him by the time he sees an ambulance. So, yeah. I think that's. I think honestly, it was a it was a tragic ending because Brent bled out on his front lawn while they waited for an ambulance to come. That's probably what happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. So oh, I, Raul, I did, I did what, like that ending. Yeah, I I I, I like I, I see both points of it. It's like I I think I would have preferred the hospital ending, but you do kind of have to have that. And maybe again, this goes back to that respite where it's like, you know, because this movie is so brutal. Yeah, you need kind of a soft landing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it is because, like, I had a realization about forty-five minutes in. I was like, the loved ones is exactly what I thought audition was like before I watched it. It's it's like as hard as I imagined audition would be to watch until I I finally watched it with Joe Bob and realized it was like ninety-five percent psychological thriller and five percent torture. Yeah. Uh, but this movie is that. It is that hard to watch torture, and it is kind of the same. Like a girl has a guy. Uh, tranquilized basically or tied up in a chair and she's just inflicting all these things on him so it is pretty much what I thought audition would be so yeah any little bit of respite was welcome but maybe have his mom visit him in the hospital instead of on the front lawn while he's walking on his feet that have been nail knife to the floor (laughs) That's, that's a good point that's a good point so all right fellas Raul you first then Jackson anything else you want to discuss before we go to ratings and recommendations um I think no. I, and, and anything else, I'll just uh, I'll just talk about in ratings recommendations. 
All right. So, <clears throat> Raul, you go first. What would you rate and recommend in reference to the loved ones? Um, I think I'm going to give this movie a solid 10 out of 10. Wow. So I, are you are you upset that this is now I mean this is decent on IMDb. Um it has a 6.6 6 out of 10 on IMDb. But it does have uh, like a 96 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. So what say you? I I could give a flying crap what IMDb says about <laughs> the movies that I like. I like what I like and I I could give a crap whether or not other people like it. <laughs> I have been the outcast of my in of my media intake for my entire life. It wasn't until I found the mutant family that I realized, oh, I'm not alone. So I no, I've been the outcast for so long. I don't care. This is a move. This is a perfect movie for me. It is wow. a hard watch. It is not something that I go to often, but every time I turn to this movie, I'm never disappointed that I watched it. I love it un conditionally unapologetically all encompassingly i go. love this movie and if you it, it makes me feel it it brings me back to the um to the 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 quote by wes craven uh where he said that the first monster that an audience has to be scared of is the filmmaker that is yeah. this movie that's a um, good point and i oh man it's i i love it so much yeah, you don't really know where this is going. I mean, when it gets going after that 15-minute mark, you're like, you know, anything goes, right? Oh, yeah. Jackson kept, Jackson uh, uh, said it earlier. There's no point where you feel like you're safe. Uh, every now and then you're thinking, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? There's no part where there, there's no line that this filmmaker, these characters are not afraid to cross. Mm-hmm. It is finger looking good. Um, <laughs> Jackson, what about you, buddy? Um, I think that, well, first of all, before I get to my reading, um, I, I, you know, initially when I was writing my notes last night, I said that I didn't think it would, it would have much rewatch value. Now, thinking back on it, I think it would have rewatch value. I think one rewatch, but uh, I fear you're going to have to wait like a year for that because this is really something brutal. It does kill your spirits a little bit. Not that the 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 monsters win in the end, but, I mean, sacrifices were made along the way, right? I mean, there is there is something that Brent's never going to regain here. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely, I think it will have rewatch value. I think that that, that subplot with, with Jamie uh, and Mia, I think her name was, um, the the daughter of the of the police the police guy I think that will have a little bit of rewatch value to it and maybe knowing where it goes will make you see the family in a different way I have no idea knowing what the deal is with Bright Eyes but um well I I hate to say it Raul but I'm happy to say that that you don't care what other people think I'm not giving this a four or anything but I'm giving it a seven point five out of ten. Um, I say stream it on Amazon Prime if if graphic movie violence doesn't face you. But then again, I thought that was me, and this shook me up a little bit. But I, I think it was a formative experience. I don't regret it. All right. Well, I'm I'm not as high as Raul, but I'm a little bit higher than you because you know, especially after discussing this movie, I do think it's very well crafted. And and mm -hmm. folks who listen to this podcast know. Wolfman Josh over at HMP, um, who we've been messaging back and forth about doing an episode sometime this year, 
on Brian De Palma's blowout. Hopefully that'll happen. But, you know, he and I are kind of the same. I I kind of rate movies more on how well they're made mm-hmm. than on enjoyment factor. I do right. factor that in, but it, the, the primary thing is that's why I argue with with uh, our buddy Butcher Bill that you know yes there is such a thing as guilty pleasure. Like I like watching Nail Gun Massacre, but it's a terribly made film. Right. You know, it's a piece it's of a... crap from a filmmaking perspective. I mean, oh yeah, Nailgun Massacre. How recently have you rewatched that, Raul? It's something. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, yeah, there's the there's years. the edited there's the scene that should have been edited where like a guy is killed, where a guy in full leather and a uh, uh, and a bicycle uh, motorcycle helmet jumps out of a pool and kills him with a nail gun, which I'm not yeah. sure that's possible, and the guy falls onto a grill and they don't cut away before he reopens his eyes when he's supposed to be dead. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then you have the whole killer reveal thing. It's like, it's like who the killer is supposed to, it's it, which that you movie can see from the beginning. I mean, right. yeah, there's no, you know, we talked about this with Greg Amortis when we, when we talked about the prowler, you know, they try to put red herrings in there, but even yeah. the, even the director, Joseph Zito's like, yeah, it was in the screenplay, but it, it wasn't going to work. Yeah. You know, it was like, you know, yeah, everybody knows where this is going. I like watching Nailgun Massacre. I think it's fun. But at the same time, I think it's a terribly made film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that factors into me. That's where I use the word, you know, guilty pleasures. Like, I, I want to reward filmmakers who take their time, who are careful. I want to, I, you know, I really appreciate filmmakers like Ari Aster and Jordan Peele and, you know, and, and Jackson, one of your favorites, you know, Robert Eggars and so forth, who put so much effort into every shot. You know, yeah. I appreciate that. Other than something that's just kind of cobbled together. Um, or even, and it doesn't, I don't care what the budget is. I mean, look what John Carpenter did in 28 days with Halloween with Dean Cundy. I mean, it's fantastic. So yeah, that's where I come from that, you know, and that being said, this is not a necessarily a fun movie for me. However, it's a very well-made movie. I think that Sean Byrne did a very good job. And so I give it eight out of 10. I call it a must watch. Um, I'm not going to buy it personally because I just, you know, I'm not going to watch it that often, but I do appreciate it. And I think Sean Byrne did a very, very good job for, you know, I know it's $4 million. That's not low budget, but it's still well shot. It's incredibly well acted. And the fact that with these actors, very few of them, you can name a bunch of other credits where people would know. But they give such great performances here. I have to give that to Sean Byrne. Right. I have to give that to the director. Um, and I love the score. I, I think it's well-paced. Um, I think it is a must-watch. I think it's a very, very good film. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's a must-stream for me. Yeah. So, Raul, you mad at me for that? No, no. We all have our opinions. Uh, you're entitled to be wrong dad that's probably what he no, said no 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 i'm not saying either of you guys are wrong trust me i have strong opinions about movies <clears throat> the shining but um Uh-oh. you don't like the shining no oh no we're gonna have to come back to oh, this some other day. have you guys yeah. done a shining episode yet i think yeah. we have i think we yeah. did with dr sleep but that was a long time ago we could definitely have you back on because that sounds like or we could be on your podcast this sounds like great podcasting yes content. i would love to have both of you on my podcast we could talk about the shining and why i don't think it's a good movie 
Oh, oh my goodness. Yes, this is simmering. I'm, this is I'm awesome. in. I'm in. All right. <laughs> so, too. folks, stick around for what we're covering next. But, Raul, thanks for being on. Where can people find you online, buddy, and your great podcast? Uh, well, uh, the podcast now has a Twitter page. Uh, it's at IntoMonsters. That's in the number two monsters. And uh, you can follow me personally at Raul versus Monsters. Uh-huh. Um, the podcast also has a website, but it's a really long, convoluted uh, URL. So I'll just link it on the on my Twitter. Um, you can also follow me on Letterbox, and as soon as I pull that up on my phone, I'm not delaying or anything. I'll <laughs> I'll let you know exactly what that I'll is. I'll cover for you, uh, Raul. Hey, yeah, you can just folks. you can just edit this out. Oh yeah, that's easy. It's uh, into monsters. <laughs> oh man, um, yeah, that's um, that that's where I'm at online. All right, so. Thanks for being on, buddy. Um, folks, we are a Patreon-supported podcast. All the funds go to putting Jackson through film school, and you can help by going to patreon.com and search Father and Son Watch Horror. And you can find more at Father and Son Horror on Twitter, and we have a closed Facebook group page, and we are on Instagram, though, barely. And we have yeah. a website at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com. Jackson, where can they find you, buddy? Well, first of all, I want to say Raul is a patron. So there you go. He's a Patreon member. Yeah, so I just signed up, I think, last night. If it's good enough uh, for Raul. Thank you, sir. Yes, thank you so much. So if it's good enough for Raul, you can tell that, well, d- regardless of what you think of his opinion on The Shining, if you Ooh. like the loved ones, <laughs> if you like the loved ones, you'll 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 enjoy the company over there. I got another video coming out this month on the Patreon. So, yeah, check that out. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12. Um, and that has my links to my Letterboxd and my YouTube and my Listened, which nobody uses. It's like Letterboxd for music, but I'm also a music nerd. <laughs> so you can check that out. Um, but uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Yep, and I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd at Pastor Matt R. Folks, next up, next weekend, we are covering the classic Universal horror movie, Bride of Frankenstein with Barely Ashley. Yes. So, yeah, we love Barely Ashley, and she requested this, and so, and we were both geeking out about it. So, yep, uh, we we assured her that when we were done with Joe Bob, we would we would do it. So that's what we're doing next, folks. Thanks again for listening, Jackson. Say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, and remember, the next time you're at a wedding watching a dreadfully dull daddy-daughter dance, just be grateful your feet aren't staked to the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, folks, until next time, remember, the family that watches horror together slays together. Thanks for listening. Once again, I want to thank the great people over on Patreon, Dave Becker, Greg Bench, Ryan Bratton, Dan George, Ian Urza, Kevin Corpy, James McFeeders, Ashley Pinkard, Greg Amortis and Pearl from Land of the Creeps, Raul Rivera, Joel Robertson, Brian Scott, Amy Swan, and Trey Whetstone. Thank you all so much. You make this podcast possible. Black eyes, like a doll's eyes. We've seen how well Daddy can nail.